So hi, and welcome to the Story of Software podcast. Today, we're joined by Stuart Cochran, CTO at BridgeU. How are you today, Stuart? I'm really good. Great to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us. And today, we're going to talk about the management of technical change. So Stuart is currently the CTO of BridgeU, a company that's been described as one of the most innovative edtech firms in Europe. And they assist schools and students in simplifying the journey between high school and university. And they were acquired in 2020 by the US edtech company Kaplan. So Stuart has brought uh, a lot of experience to the table today. So more than 20 years leading software development teams and projects in various industries, ranging from telco to media and more recently in edtech. And we're looking forward today to getting his insights on the many significant elements and challenges around managing change from a technical perspective within a, within a company. So Stuart, to begin with, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you carry out as CTO of Bridgeview? Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you. I've been doing this kind of work for you know, more than 20 years in, in different industries, different businesses. Um, typically, the kind of scale-up stage, that's, I think, the phase of the company growth I enjoy most. Um, but worked with everybody from you know, government departments, through to law firms, heavily regulated industries, through to NASA, one of the customers a while ago, uh, and now for the last four years working at Purdue in the edtech space, which was the first of me. And I was very lucky to join the space at a time when it's really exploded. And some of that has been heralded or accelerated by, you know, COVID and the pandemic. But, uh, but some of those trends around digital transformation and the widening of access, you know, are, are with us, I think, for the long term. So it's a really interesting time to be in the space. And Stuart, could you tell us a little bit about what are the major categories of change that you've witnessed over your career? Uh, for sure. I mean, so many, I guess. I guess the way I think about it is there's, there's some change because a business is making decisions and pushing itself forward uh, or, or occasionally dealing with issues, dealing with problems and challenges. So they're more kind of internally driven things that can be, you know, how do we scale up? How do we move faster? How do we improve quality? How do we build new products and services? How do we enter new markets? And then some of the changes are more external events. They're a little bit harder to predict when they're going to happen. And because of that can be much more difficult to manage because you don't necessarily have the same length of time to sort of talk to the business about what might happen and how it could affect them. So those things are the obvious things like we've taken a whole new round of funding. That means we have new investors and often you know, different level of expectations. Uh, or, of course, you know, we bought a company or we've been acquired by a company. Um, so I've seen all those kinds of changes. You kind of touched on, on COVID. I could ask you, how did... COVID impact on, on Bridgeview. What was the experience for you like guiding a, a technology division within a company during that period? We were incredibly lucky in some ways that we had made a decision before COVID happened that we wanted to have a remote first team that was distributed and that we found a way to hire uh, on board and work with people no matter where they were. And that was true in my part of the business. It wasn't true across the whole business. So there was a challenge there for us. But, but generally, I think that the company was able to make that transition relatively easily. You know, all of our employees had laptops, for example. Um, almost everything we did was in the cloud. We had no sort of on-premise equipment that certainly um, nobody was there to look after. From a customer's perspective, it was certainly more challenging. Uh, we worked mostly with international secondary schools. And those schools were shut, they were closed. And therefore, ability for us to conduct businesses them would have much more difficult. Um, and also there was a challenge for our customers. They, they suddenly uh, weren't able to deliver 
the teaching or the guidance that they normally do face-to-face in person in a classroom they had to find new ways of doing that in many ways covid was good for our business and and i say that knowing full well that it wasn't good for every business and you know for colleagues in technology businesses in hospitality or travel or retail it's been very very difficult but but we were very lucky in, in the sense that you know schools suddenly were teaching online they needed new platforms they needed new tools they needed new ways to to work with their students and the students families so we saw some very positive things for us uh, the transition was easy for us to make as a company but i wouldn't say it hasn't come without its challenges like like all change does and i think that's one of the things that we've we've had to sort of keep our eyes very open towards is you know what extra stresses and strains challenges are our people seeing that maybe are not obvious um, you have to kind of dig a bit deeper to find out what they are and then help people through them I might stay on this topic just for, for another question and ask you what you did in terms of looking after the morale of your team in lockdowns and all these kind of weird things going on. Yeah, I, I think we, we made a lot of changes quite quickly when we realized that we couldn't be all together as a company to try and maintain that sort of social cohesion and connection. So we put in place lots of you know, social events, whether it's one-on-one with people or whether it was team-based or company-wide. We, we then found, of course, like many businesses, that you know, spending all day in front of your computer on Zoom, working, and then being you know, invited or expected to turn up for an hour-long game on Zoom on your computer is actually very tough for some people. And so we had to make sure that we reminded our people to take a break, to get up and walk around, to get some fresh air, that it was okay not to have to spend all day literally in back-to-back calls. As things have begun to open up a bit more, we have not and will not be saying to our people that they must return to the office. But what we have said for the people, especially when they were already close to an office, and if you want to use it just to get out of your flat, get out of your house, um, you know, just have that opportunity to kind of walk in or maybe bike in to work, make use of pretty decent Wi-Fi in the last few weeks and months, make use of you know, conditioning. It's been pretty hot. That's been a big thing for some of our people especially if they are in shared accommodation and you know, the Wi-Fi is pretty terrible and they're having to perch on the end of their bed. You know, that's not very good for all sorts of different reasons. So we have reopened the office for that reason alone. So I think, yeah, a, a combination of trying to make sure we stay connected, but also encouraging our people to take a break. Personally, you know, I've been very lucky because you know, I sort of live in a place and live in a house where there's enough space for me to work and I'm not in the way of the family around me. And honestly, not having to commute into, into the office uh, has given me quite a few hours back in the week and day that, that I found really valuable, whether it's to be able to sort of do some extra things with the family or, or again, just to get some exercise and walk the dog. So um, I've been very lucky personally, for sure. Moving back to the more general topic, What would you say are the key aspects of change that you need to look out for and need to manage correctly? It's definitely true that you need to over-communicate when change is happening. And I think one of the things I've learned is that change is is almost always a constant in the kind of businesses, technology businesses that I've been lucky enough to be part of. Um, Because those changes can be internally driven or external events that you always have the ability to predict very accurately. So you have to also build resilience. And I do think communication and resilience really go hand in hand. I think that helping a team become resilient to change is all about talking to them 
and all about, I think, giving them context, giving them better understanding of the sort of things that could happen without necessarily having any certainty that they will or when they might happen. But even talking about, you know, this is the trajectory of one, this is the path of one as a business. And some of that can be technical, you know, hopefully you're a growing business. That means you'll be facing challenges like scaling. But also as you move between different industries, you might suddenly have a very different regulatory regime you have to deal with. Or of course, as you grow a business internationally, you suddenly have different languages and cultures and ways of working that you have to deal with. And all of those can have an impact um, technically as well as on the, the, um, the people in the business. I think the other thing that I found is that it's especially hard, I think, for people to realise that they have to talk about you know, problems and where things don't go well. But I think it's vital. The way that you build resilience within a team is you explain that you know, the path forward is not always a straight line. It's not always up and to the right with growth. You know, there can be times where you're flatlining. There can be times where things are bad and you need to really figure out how to improve them. And I think having the honesty to talk about whether it's a personal thing to say, you know, I make mistakes um, and I acknowledge when that happens or whether it's talking about a business and saying a business will make some mistakes also. Um, I think it's important to talk about those things too. When they're talking to a team that they feel they have to always be positive. They always have to sort of sell the future, um, paint the picture, everything will, be, everything will be fine, everything will be good. There is a degree where you need to motivate people and you do need to paint that future and excite people and inspire people about what could happen. But I also think it's important to be honest and transparent. I couldn't agree more. I actually got some feedback from a member of my own team recently and, and she said, it's great that I am a very positive person in terms of you know, how I speak and how I communicate. But she said, you know, it could be tempered with a slight little bit more realism sometimes. Yeah. And I think that it was very valid feedback. I guess in those that are kind of, I suppose, entrepreneurial in nature will have a tendency to look at everything through rose tinted glasses. And I tend to see setbacks as, you know, fuel for getting better and, you know, maybe some uh, feedback from the universe about, I suppose, changing course or changing tack. Uh, but I think there is a lot to be said for acknowledging mistakes and shortcomings. And I think it's much more credible and real for people in that communication. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I read something recently that said that people will often forgive mistakes. What they won't forgive easily is where they feel there's a lack of credibility, where there's a lack of trust. And I think that's, that's a really important that, you know, we don't actually expect people or expect ourselves to be perfect 100% of the time. We do want to push our teams. We want to push ourselves. We want to take care of the craft of building software, building product, building businesses. I think, yeah, you're right. You know, being honest enough to acknowledge that mistakes will be made. And obviously the way you deal with mistakes is also critical because building resilience, building good communication, building that trust is all really about building that sort of psychological safety, that kind of feeling that I won't be punished if things go slightly wrong. And that allows people to be more creative, allows them to take more risks, allows them to be more honest in their own feedback. And I think all of those three things are critically important for dealing with change. I think you're absolutely right. There's actually another aspect, just to come back to the, I suppose, the whole COVID topic was, for me, I think it forced people to drop the professional veneer that we would all tend to adopt going into an office environment. I think the fact that you've started to see I suppose, into people's homes on a regular basis. And then yeah. we have, like dogs running around in the background or like kids or, you know, you got to see, I suppose, more of the real everyday aspect of people that you work with, be that yeah. 
colleagues or clients or whatever it might be. It was a, a great humanization, I think, of everyone. And I think the other aspect of honesty that was enhanced by the whole COVID experience is that it made everyone far more comfortable speaking about their mental health. That can only be a positive thing from my perspective, that it went from, you know, almost a, a taboo topic people really didn't want to talk about. So suddenly I found there was conversations happening within our own organization where people were saying, oh, I feel really overwhelmed or I feel very grateful that things are going well and that I'm not sick, etc. So I think that greater degree of honesty and the dropping of the kind of professional veneer was good and hopefully something we sustain in a post-COVID world. Yeah, no, for sure. I think the humanization you mentioned is critical because I remember when I joined a, a business a few years ago, it was a lot, at that time, the largest company that I joined. It was, you know, a few tens of thousands around the world. So building that internal set of relationships was critically important. It was a very large business and there was therefore lots of people to have to sort of try and get to know and understand how you could help them and how they could help you and you fit it into the whole. And I remember asking for advice about, well, how do you go about building these relationships? All these people, it's a very multicultural business, it's across, you know, many continents, many countries. So I asked for advice. And the advice I was given has really stayed with me ever since, which was when you're starting to get to know a new team or a new business or a set of new colleagues, you have to give up something about yourself. You have to sort of be human. You have to kind of not just go into in a very kind of professional, very sort of structured, very, you know, to the point way. You have to sort of show that we are all human. So that builds on just exactly what you said. I think doing that is, is critically important, especially in times of change and times of stress like we've seen with COVID. Uh, Stuart, I'd love to ask you from a technological point of view, what would you say are the key enablers in, in managing change? I think there's a, like a simple answer, which is a true answer but maybe too simple, which is it's about small units of work with short cycle times, reducing the risk effectively, reducing the risk of mistake or to back something out, you know, it's much easier to do where the change was small. But I think personally, a bigger issue about how technology and how technology teams can deal with change, which is about the trade-offs that are inherent in change. There's a set of options, we have a set of choices that we need to make. And therefore, you be really clear about what trade-offs you're making. And those trade-offs, again, can be, you know, do you want this to go fast? Or do you want it to be very stable? Do you want it to be highly scalable? Or do you want to get something to market quickly? So there's all sorts of technological trade-offs to make. Um, but there's also commercial and business trade-offs. So how important is it to the business that this does launch quickly? Or how important to the business is it that this is absolutely rock-solid and delivers a fantastic user experience? So making sure that teams understand we want to empower them to make those trade-offs i think that's the most important where teams feel they're being told what to do and they feel that some of those decisions or trade-offs are being sort of decided by other people i think the danger there is just don't get the best from the team and therefore you don't get the best way to do, to deal with change because the change will happen whether you like it or not so it's about empowering the team to be able to react to it themselves or even anticipate themselves to do that you genuinely got to give them the accountability, give them the responsibility, make them feel that they are in control of those trade-offs. From a people management point of view, what are the other things you can do to bring people with you on that change journey? Great question. I mean, a couple of things come to mind all too often, especially with new managers and technology teams. Sometimes the mistake that people make is they assume that 
technology teams only care about technology and everything has to be sort of translated into the the language of the engineer and, and my experience is actually quite the opposite i generally found all the technology teams they're just as interested in the commercial aspects of the business and what our sales colleagues are finding and what's what's easy to sell and what's hard or what's resonating well with customers and users and what isn't and what feedback do we get or even what competitors are doing so i think one thing is that giving context to the team is important but also showing everything that's going on across the business and not just talking about the technology aspect, but actually talking about the challenges that the other teams are facing, the successes the other teams are having too, of course. I think that's been really important because the other thing I found is there's a piece of work done, I think many years ago now, I'm not sure originally when it was published, but it's called The Ladder of Influence. And it talks about how as humans we make decisions. And it talks about the fact that there are facts, there are things in the world that we can all observe. But then as humans, which ones we perceive and we interpret those facts actually impact the decisions we make. Um, and what I've found often with technology teams is that when they are thinking about a change, when they're anticipating it or reacting to it, often the way in which they interpret what's happening will be quite different. And it'd be quite easy for me to say to them, well, I think you're wrong how you've interpreted that. But I think that's the wrong approach. I think the approach to take is, is to ask them first, why do they think that way? What is it that they've seen about the change that's happening that makes them feel that X will happen or Y will happen? And often when you have that conversation, you uncover something that is very obvious to them, but is hidden for you. So I'll make a few examples. A big change that happens is when companies are acquired. And the challenge with the companies being acquired is it, often it's quite a confidential process. It's not something you can talk about for months as it's happening. You often have to sort of wait until the ink is dry on the deal before you can announce it to the business. And you know, and sometimes people's reaction to a company being acquired is not positive. They actually get very worried. You know, this company has now bought us and that's going to lead to a bad outcome. And often managers, especially if they've been involved in the process and kind of feel in some way responsible for it, might feel under pressure to sort of defend it or justify it or talk it up or be that kind of positive, you know, it's going to be amazing, don't worry. But my experience is it's actually worth taking the time to talk to somebody. And I remember this many, many years ago when we announced the company being acquired and somebody in the, the technology team was very upset, actually, beyond just like sort of disappointed or angry, but actually quite upset. So we had a conversation, just the two of us. In me asking you, why are you feeling this way? What, what is it that you think is happening here? And it turned out two months before her husband had been a company being acquired and immediately in that process, a whole lot of people had been laid off. And she immediately and understandably believed that when she'd heard the words, that, you know, this company has been acquired, that what that was going to lead to was like a round of layoffs and that her job would be at risk. And obviously with her family already dealing with that blow. In that situation, bad to say, I was able to sort of say, that's not what's happening here. And we were able to kind of made her realise that it wasn't like a thing that brought Matthew up. And so talking about the wider context is important. But when it comes to individuals, recognising the way in which they will interpret the world is maybe different to you is also equally important. Stuart, I'd be very curious to know whether, let's say using the example of a company being acquired, whether technology teams are more or less open to that change than other teams? Is that something you may have some anecdotal experience of or any kind of gut feeling on? I think it varies a lot. I think it is true to say that the technology teams 
in businesses are often the reason why acquisition is taking place. You know, a business sees an opportunity to expand its offerings by buying another business and integrating that product or service and the technology that supports it into their offering. So often for technology teams, they can be part of the kind of rationale for an acquisition or merger and therefore something that often gets protected, I guess. Often if if you're working in more of a central function within a business that maybe is seen as something where there might be, you know, to use that sort of dreadful phrase like a synergy, cost synergy. So two businesses are merging and we don't necessarily need, you know, twice as many people working in our finance team. In general, technology teams, I think, feel less at risk and therefore be more open. I think on the other hand, though, and I think this is true for every team, not just technology teams, one of the things that, that always get is, well, what will change now? Will our culture change? Will our values change? Will the way in which we do business change? We'll have to kind of work in a different way. And of course, sometimes things do change. Um, you can't shy away from that. You know, a business that acquires another is doing so because there's an economic reason to do it and they want to make sure that whatever that economic reason is, is ultimately achieved. And therefore, that may mean that they need to make some changes along the way. So, so technology teams, I think, can often feel protected, but at the same time, are probably very sensitive to the fact is, you know, what might change, of how quickly things might change, if at all. And they don't always, but I think it's a mistake to sort of say to people, nothing will now change. I mean, just the fact you've got different leaders, maybe different investors, maybe even just a different sort of attitude, a different sort of view on, you know, what is the sort of timeline that we are investing in this business for. Thank you. Stuart, I'd love to ask you as well, are there any other challenges that we should be conscious of when it comes to change management? I think one thing that's important is is about culture. I mean, again, it would depend very much on the scale and size of a business that is going through any change. But I think this is especially true in very fast-growing businesses that, you know, can literally, you know, go from tens and then hundreds of people in very, very short amounts of time. And therefore, understanding that it is inevitable that the culture might need to shift. There's a lot of talk given to kind of keeping culture and keeping values the same. But I think there's also needs to be recognition that things do have to change. You know, when you're a team that is able to get into one office, you know, share that kind of archetypal one or two pizzas, then, you know, the, the needs for how you communicate and how you establish shared understanding and how you define your, your common values are very different to where your team is suddenly hundreds of people spread around the world across many different locations. So I think at that point, you know, things do need to shift. You do need to recognise, again, you know, thinking from a technology point of view, suddenly the amount you're able to have good documentation becomes much more important because you can't rely upon the sort of learning by osmosis and learning just being sort of stood next to yourself. So better documentation, more structure, so having process around onboarding, information sharing, knowledge management, all those kinds of things. And those don't completely change the culture of the business overnight, but they do introduce different values or different things that suddenly become important. So again, to think about technology teams, you know, if you add a fantastic engineer really poor at sharing knowledge and in fact really difficult maybe for associate engineers to learn from them maybe because they are hard to approach or antagonistic then 
you know, very quickly as the business starts to scale, you can't make exceptions for that kind of person. There's no room for that kind of person in the team. Um, you know, if you're a team of one or two people, maybe you can just about live with that. But once you get beyond that kind of scale, then it's far more important that you have real team players and people that are not just optimizing for themselves, but optimizing for the performance of the overall team. So, you know, how you recognize that you don't accept that kind of behavior, that's not a value that you're going to accept, is really important. I think change is often for a reason that's kind of something you can point to. You know, we need to scale up because we're not delivering good enough performance or we're seeing too many errors or we just can't deal with the amount of um, traffic. And I think you also need to be thinking about change in terms of, you know, how do we set our teams up to be successful and what kind of people do we want? You know, the values are really important and how do we make sure we deal with those that are not? Stuart, the, the final question I have for you today is what advice would you give to CTOs who are about to embark on a journey, let's say, of being acquired? Um, that's a great question. I think um, CTOs are generally pretty lucky in this situation because they tend to know it's happening. It tends not to be a surprise. So one piece of advice would be understand that your team won't have that benefit or luxury and therefore you might have weeks if not months of being able to kind of process the fact that this acquisition is about to happen but when when you get finally you're able to tell the team um, often they're given almost no notice and it happens really quickly and there can be a little bit I've seen this happen I, I, I've done this myself you know a little bit of a kind of you forget the fact that you've had weeks and months to process it and you're expecting people in your team to just you know hear about the news and sort of be completely fine and perfectly normal just takes time so being patient with your teams understanding that it is a journey that you're taking them on as you communicate to them i think is one piece of advice i think the second piece of advice is that when an acquisition happens understandably people think about what happens to me what happens to my job what happens to my team what happens to my part of the business and of course you have to sort of answer people's questions around that i think the other thing i found though is that it's really important to double down on communicating what does this mean for our customers and users I mean, again almost all acquisitions happen for what people believe at the time to be a really good reason you know by doing this we're going to be able to do a better job for our users and customers you know we've got more to offer them we can do it cheaper we can do it quicker whatever the reason is and i think making sure that we're always talking about that it gives people i think the opportunity to recalibrate how they understand the mission of the business and an acquisition can obviously change that substantially and therefore you need to really keep talking about it often so you give people that chance to sort of recalibrate and to sort of go okay yeah no i get this now i can see that yeah there's some things i'm a little bit uncertain about and unsure about personally but I can see that when we get through this this journey we're starting now it should end in something that's better for our users and for our customers and i think you know that's what will see people through the uncertainty, the period of uncertainty that follows. Jared, thank you so much. It's been really interesting to speak with you today. My pleasure. Great to speak with you. So we had production, as always, by Albina Krasteva, with editing by Adnan Tukar and Evan Sheehan, and music by Robert Cuny. Thank you for listening to the story of software.